0: Well, good morning again, church. Morning. Yeah, if you have your Bibles, would you open to Hebrews chapter two? Hebrews two is our text today. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack right in front of you or bible.com will get you where you need to go. Um, <clears throat> Corey, team, thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. It, it's just always, it's great. Um, I love songs. I love songs that stir our affections in many different ways. I love that song in particularly because <clears throat> it's a song that, that shows us the active, redemptive side of Christ, right? So, so in many songs that we talk about, and listen, neither of these two are, are more right or wrong than any other ones, but there's a lot of songs that we hear that, that kind of, that, that, that do, that display the glory and, and the splendor of God and Christ and the Spirit of God, and, and we see that and we respond to that. It's us responding to that. But then I know there are some people, because I, I taught you and I feel that way too myself, sometimes we feel so messed up That we feel like that all, that splendor and that wonder of God is out of our reach. That we, we've blown it too much. And, and that may be good for you holy rollers on Sunday, but man, I'm just trying to keep my life together. I know I shouldn't be addicted to these things, but I am addicted to these things. I know I shouldn't love this, but I do love this. So y'all go over there and you worship him high and lofty, but man, I just, I'm over here. And what that song teaches us is, is really what we would consider the reckless nature of the gospel, that where Jesus isn't just this, well, if you can't get to me, then fine. It is he will literally tear down everything in our, our lives that keep us from him that he may redeem us and so if you're here today and you feel like that one that one that's lost that one that doesn't know where the rest of the 99 are you got a savior who knows where you are and he's coming for you every shadow is lit up there's no darkness in him every wall that we that we crazy enough we put up the walls between us and god and god kicks them down thankful for these moments and these glimpses of the gospel, just sitting there worshiping and praying. And it just, it just stirred my heart to, to thank God for what he does in my life every day. I'm thankful that he is high and holy. I'm thankful that he is in splendor and honor and praise to his name, but he comes down and he runs after us. That's the beauty and the hope of the gospel. That's what Hebrews, that's what the author's teaching us, particularly today. That Jesus, when chapter 1, this Jesus who is more supreme than anything, more supreme than angels, more supreme than anything created, anything, heavens, earth, powers, and na- Jesus is more supreme than that. And, and this half of chapter 2, the, the, the second half of chapter 2 says, and he loves you and he's coming for you. Not only that, but he's going to make a way for you to be made right with God again. So without further ado, let's dive into God's word and we will read together. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Hebrews 2, starting in verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, all of one source, That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me, verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one that has power over death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he is to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I pray that today that God would open our eyes. I pray that today when we read this verse by verse and line by line, that he would show us more of his beauty than we've ever seen before. A more clear picture of who he is and our lives would be responding to him in a right fashion. So, so we're going back, go back to the very first verse. Uh, I know today kind of th- that, that text, you're like, man, that sounds kind of lofty. It, it is. It's kind of kind of. Th- theologically worded heavy, right? Uh, and so, so when we get to this today, I pray that the Lord would allow us to, to understand what we are reading. Okay, verse 10, when we see this, it, says, it is fitting for he for whom and by whom all things exist and bring many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay. So out of the gate, there's two parts to this. First part has two sections. It's showing us uh, what God, the father and God, the son's roles are when it comes to salvation. All right. Uh, So what we see here is God, the father's role. Number one, he for whom and by whom all things exist. Now, this, this tiny half of a sentence, this small section of this verse gives us deep theological impact, okay? Just so we're, we understand, understand and so I can understand, has anybody gone through a catechism in their life. And can I just see your hands? Uh, good. There, there's a good bit of us in, in first service, a lot of people in here, particularly if you were probably from um, Methodist church, Pre- uh, Presbyterian church, Episcopalian church, maybe even Catholic church, you've gone through some form of catechism. Catechisms are great. If you don't know what that is, uh, it is a detailed study of questions and answers um, to help us have and gain a better understanding of who God is and what our role in, in response is to him. This is where we get a lot of those questions and answers through Hebrews. Okay, So just this short section where it says, for whom and by whom all things exist. Every night, um, I say every night like, like we're that good. Uh, most nights we try to have like a family religious talk time. Family worship just sounds too formal because there ain't nothing in our house formal. Um, that we sit down with the kids and we just talk through questions. And, and Gideon has gone through this and now Mirajoy at three is going through this. And so we'll ask her questions. We'll say, Mirajoy, who made you? Mirajoy Joy's my three year old. Mirajoy, who made you? And she said, God make. Right. Uh, so God made me good. Uh, well, what else did God make? And her answer is all things. And so the, the third question that, that, that finishes that series is, Mary why did God make you and all things? Um, she can't say gluh. Instead, she says gore. Uh, and so she says for his gory. Right. Uh, and so we're like, uh, maybe that. No, no. Yes. Glory, yes, gory, no. Okay? Um, so, so we're working through this, but, but the, the idea is this God has created us to be His for His glory, okay? Now, before we just kind of get too lofty and, and uh, theologically schooled in this, don't, don't miss this. God made you with His glory in mind. God, the author, and the perfecter of our lives made you with glory, his glory in mind. So if you're here today and you say, Well, God must have a sense of humor because my life has been anything but his glory, you just wait. God is not done with you yet. How do we know? You're still breathing. You still got breath in your lungs. You still have an opportunity to serve. And listen, there'll be a day, and maybe you can even see it now, that we look back and all the days that were so dark and the seasons that were so painful, that we start to see God was doing something. God was doing something in us, doing something in the people around us. And it was through that hard season that we started to see God for who he really was. So the author of Hebrews writes this, for whom and by whom all things exist. Second thing that God does here, God the Father does, is that He should make the founder of their salvation, their being us, we're the there, of their salvation, perfect through suffering. Now, guys, this is a hard one to, to wrestle with, okay? Here's why. Is Jesus perfect? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> if not, let's talk about it later, okay? Is Jesus perfect? Resounding. Yes. All right. Read what this says. That he should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. Wait, I thought Jesus was perfect. How is he going to make him perfect? To make something means that he's not and he's moving towards the end. Okay, so, so don't, don't think perfect like hasn't done anything wrong. Perfect. This perfect is different when we see it in this, in this context of the Greek. This perfect is to accomplish the goal in which they were given. Okay, So so this isn't talking about Jesus was kind of iffy in his younger years and he got better as he went on. This is Jesus was brought to earth for a purpose and he is showing that purpose through the suffering on the cross. Some people would say, Jesus, you're not the true God because no way a true God would go to the cross. Author of Hebrews says that's how we know he's God. Because he suffered on our behalf that he, he, he would be fulfilling the task that God the Father gave him. Why? Look, look at at the, the it's kind of middle part, but if we're reading it and kind of how it works, is God, God to whom and for whom all things, and he is perfecting Jesus as, as he is sending him out to do the task. What's it gonna do? What's the effect? It brings many sons to glory. So Jesus' work on the cross. Allows us to be made right with God again. Why is this fitting? It says, when we started that verse, it says, it is fitting. Why is it fitting? Look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why it's not ashamed to call them brothers. So Jesus is the source. Last week, we talked about John 14, 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Right. So so except they, they come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the source of salvation. He is the source of, of of way of understanding and of life. He is the source for all things. But we understand this in a duality. OK, so what what the author of Hebrews is stating to us, not only is Jesus the giver of sanctification, he is the one that allows those being sanctified to come in and find refuge. He is their strength. He is their strong tower. He is their, 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 their ever-present comfort in their time of need. So he is the source that gives and the source that receives. He is the heartbeat of the gospel. That's what we, we see here, that he is the source. That, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, um, whenever we read brothers... Not not completely, okay? It's not exclusive here, but for a majority, whenever you read brothers in the New Testament, in your Bible, when you read it, it says brothers. It's a gender-neutral Greek word for people of the household of faith. What's that mean? Ladies, you're loved by God too, okay? And I know you get that. I know we infer that, but sometimes we can read that, or maybe you're new to the faith and you say, well, this keeps saying brothers, and it's kind of male-driven. I want us to understand this, is gender, this part is gender-neutral. Brothers and sisters in the faith. This is an incredibly sobering thought for me. Here's, here's why. Jesus has called us and made us his family. That, that part's awesome. But he's called us as brothers and sisters. Guys, we're co-heirs with Christ. We're his brothers. We're his sisters. He, his righteousness is our righteousness. Why, why is that in some ways terrifying to me? Here, here's why. Because I, sometimes that makes me comfortable to feel like I'm in the family of God, but I kind of want to just be a distant relative. You know what I'm saying? Right? So, like, I'm, I'm kind of like that crazy uncle nobody ever really talks about or invites to things, kind of in the family of God, because we can't get right, but, it, you know, he's entertaining. Every once in a while to be around, but too much is not. Like, like that, that's kind of who we are. And then that's kind of how we feel. And so somehow we relish ourselves in that role. Like we, we say, well, it's OK. You know, I don't have everything together. I'm, you know, Jesus saved me. We're good over there. I got an understanding with him, but I'm going to go do me over here. No, no. Listen to me. I want you to hear what God called you. You are brothers and sisters of Jesus and you are sons and daughters of the father. Why is that terrifying sometimes? Because sometimes I find comfort in being distanced. But what the word tells me is there is no distance between me and my Lord. My Lord calls me his own. And there's a sense of responsibility that comes with that. And when we get to chapter 3, we're going to hear about that responsibility that God calls us to. And so I just want to help us understand the notion of this. Jesus isn't just our friend. Jesus just isn't our homeboy who's off in a distance somewhere. Jesus is our brother and sister. God is our father. And we walk accordingly to our call. So, So we see. This is why he's not ashamed to call, to call them brothers, to call them sisters. Then we're going to get into a, a part of the text. If you have your Bible and you see the typeset change, we're going into quotes here, quotes from the Old Testament. First quote we look at in verse 12 is a quote from Psalm 22. Here's verse 12. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. That's a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 22. Here's what it says. Tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Why is that important? Well, Psalm 22 is incredibly important in the Christian faith. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he yelled out a phrase? He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at face value, it kind of sounds like Jesus is just kind of like, Uh oh, what's he doing? But do you know that he's not just shooting off the cuff some words? Do you know that he's quoting directly Psalm 22, verse 1? That from the cross, he's pointing people back to Psalm 22, saying, go read it. So verses 1 through 21 of Psalm 22 is about the one who's going to suffer and make us right with God again. What he's saying from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't him saying, God, where are you? It's him saying, look to me, I am going to save you. Then we get into verse 22 here. and 22 through 31, the remainder of that psalm is about the hope we have because of the one who took our place. So because of what Jesus did, we now have eternal hope. Not just hope for today, not just hope for tomorrow, but hope for eternity. We are his brothers, we are his sisters, and nothing will ever change that. Then you get to verse 13, it's another quote. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So not only will I put my trust in him, but all those that are belonging to the family of God, we're putting our trust in him. That's a quote from Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. We are God's children. Let us put our hope and our trust continually in him, just as Jesus has modeled for us. Verse 14, guys, this is is good stuff right here. Are you ready? Verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, this is Christ, he himself, likewise, partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who had power over death, that is the devil. Right? So when Jesus came down from heaven, the, the incarnation, right? So, so when, when the Lord came to us, put skin on and dwelt among us, he became just like us, flesh and blood. He experienced life just as we experience the hurt, the joy, the pain, the celebration, the exhaustion, and the temptation. Everything we've experienced, he's experienced. Why did he have to become just like us? So he could save us. Why did he have to become just like us? So that we could be like him, robed in his righteousness, walking in relationship with God the Father. How? How is this possible? From his death. And you say, wait, oh, all right. Look, I've been in church a while. How is, why, why is Jesus' death important in the realm of my relationship with God? This this is how how it's explained through the author of Hebrews. Understanding understanding what death is, okay? Jesus' death on the cross disarmed the enemy. The enemy had, had one thing, one thing going for him. That at the end of this life, at the end of this life, eternally, we would belong to him because something separated us from God. Just make sure our theology is all on the same page. What separates us from a relationship with God? Three-letter word. What is it? Sin. Sin. Okay. Sin separates us from God. Now, to, to be clear, it's not just the actions that we do is what we're talking about as considered sin. So it's not like the first day that you lied to your parents and now you're in judgment of God or the first day that you stole your kid sister's toy or pulled their hair or if they had hair. I don't know. Um, th- those aren't the things that, it's, it's the heart. It's the heart of depravity that separates us from, from God. That, that when we are born, hear me, you are born into depravity. When you drew your first breath in, you drew in depravity. There's no sweet little innocent baby Sweet little innocent baby over there. As sweet and innocent as that thing is, the heart that grows inside of it is depraved. As you get older, you'll see it. You take those sweet little babies, let them grow up just a little bit, not even a year. Put two of them together. Take one toy. Throw it right there in the middle. It is like WrestleMania, guys. Look, they're coming off the top rope. They weren't even a top rope, but they made one, and they're coming off the top of it, right? So so we understand depravity from an early age. Look, I want you to hear me, okay, because this is going to fly in the face of a lot of what we believe, okay? Depravity and understanding that we are depraved from the moment that we are born flies into the face of the age of accountability. Hear me. You are not going to find that in Scripture. There is, what verse is the age of accountability in? That is not in here. That is something that we've made up to make us feel better about our kids being not sweet. Why is that important? Because guys, we should be investing gospel in them from the moment they open their eyes. Not just when they're 12. Not just when they've walked through a catechism. Guys, they are depraved and separated from God and we must point them to the one who's going to bring salvation. Now if, since I said that, I need to say this. If you had a child die, If you've had a young one depart from you earlier than you would have ever imagined, please hear me. I'm not saying that they're spending eternity in hell. I believe that our God is a gracious God we see from many different texts. We can can have a thorough discussion about that at another time. I want to be clear, though. Don't just sit on our laurels of life and say, I have until I'm 12 or 10 or whatever we've ever been told the age of accountability is until I can make a decision for God. No, you need to start making a decision for God early. So so here, what what we see is, is Jesus and his work on the cross has disarmed the enemy, not just for when we get to teenage years, but for our entirety of our life. He's disarmed the enemy. He's disarmed death. When Jesus arose on the third day, he broke death. It's not worked the same way since. Used to, it would bring fear in the hearts of people, even God's people, and now it is but a gateway to the other side. It's the reason the Apostle Paul says in his writings when he's in prison and they say, if you don't renounce your faith, if you don't stop preaching this gospel, we're going to kill you. What did Paul say? Great. Kill me today. I'm going home to be with my Lord. Well, what if we just let you go and suffer? Great. Then I'm going to go and serve him. So there's nothing we can do to make you stop. No. Death death does not scare us anymore, Christians. Now, to, to be clear. Sometimes death is scary, the process that it's going to take to get us there. We're not talking about that. We're talking about when we take our final breath. What the Word says, to be be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you breathe your last breath here, you breathe your first breath there. That's the hope that we have and what Jesus did. That's why when we do baptism, we, we do it in the water. It's not about washing anything. It's just, it'd be kind of weird if if we do it because Jesus did it, but it'd also be kind of weird if we actually dug a grave here. But the imagery is this, that we're putting you in the grave, buried with Christ in baptism. And then we're raised to walk in the newness of life because there's only been one guy who's actually died and come back to life and stayed alive, right? And you say, well, what happened to Lazarus? That dude died again at some point. We're We're not buried with Lazarus raised to walk in newness of life. We're buried with Christ. And raised to walk in the newness of life. Used to death was terrifying because after, after when death came, it's over. Because of Christ's resurrection, we have eternal hope. Death is just the door that we walk through, passing from this life to our final worshiping place. Look at verse 15. And deliver all those through, who, through the fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Because Jesus has set us free. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Now, let me speak specifically to church folks in this room, okay? Because I grew up a lot like you. I grew up in this community. Pine Grove and New Palestine were my upbring- upbringings here, okay? Now, this isn't to say anything against those, those churches because both churches were instrumental in growing me in my faith. But for whatever reason, I started to believe somewhere along the way that God loved me more when I did good things, And then God would love me less when I started doing bad things. Anybody ever fall into that trap? The problem behind that was, the problem is, we do a lot more bad things than good things, don't we? That's our tendency. Our tendency is to to fall into the the trap of, of doing the bad things. And then, so on the days that we're doing well, we feel good about ourselves. We feel great in the Lord. Let me go worship him. But on the days that we don't, we try to hide. But deep down in our hearts, we wonder if God can still love us. Is there still redemption for me? Do I need to be saved again? Do I need to go back and start this thing all over again? What this tells us is Jesus and his work on the cross showed us that we're now set free from that that death spiral. Jesus showed us the full extent of his mercy by the the work on the cross. God has shown his full love towards us through the person and the work of Jesus. Verse 16, for surely it's not angels that he helps. So God's, God's focus isn't to angels. And it's not the angels that are specifically helping us because they thought of it, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, which is us, the, the covenanted children that belong to him. We are God's prized creation. We are his, his prized possession. Because we need to know our worth as we walk in this life. I think a lot of times we give ourselves away because we think we've already messed it up. We go and do something, and, and I know the mentality because I live it too. You fight something for so long, and then all of a sudden you say, you know what? I've already messed up. I might as well just go and do it. That's not knowing your worth. You are a child of God. You are a brother and sister of Jesus Christ. You do not have to go and live in the mud. Verse 17. Therefore, he has to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. So that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Guys, this shows us how salvation works. Christ became like us, painfully human, so that he could become merciful and a faithful high priest for us to God. Now, if you don't understand that imagery, high priest is the guy in the Old Testament who on the Day of Atonement or on your calendars every year about September, October, you ever notice Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, if you're just reading it like we are? Day of atonement in the Jewish calendar, okay? That, that's the day that the high priest would go on behalf of the people before God and make sacrifice for his people. The problem was it didn't last. It never lasted. It was never good enough. It was never pure enough. And so when Jesus came, he gave the sacrifice that was perfect. He is not only the high priest, he is the great high priest. More to that in the chapters to come. There's a word in here that's strange, but it's really powerful and you need to know it, okay? Why did Jesus do this? So he would make propitiation for our sin, propitiation for our sin. So so why propitiation? What does that mean? Uh, One of my seminary professors explained it to me this way. He said, think of propitiation, think of scorched earth. Okay, scorched earth in this sense. Propitiation is if you're in a field, a, a field of dry grass and it's a big field and you're standing in the middle of it and somebody lights the field on fire. There's nowhere you can run to escape it. Eventually, that fire is going to get to you and it's going to consume you. But let's just say that same field of large, dry field of of dry grass is there. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in and burns out the middle of that field and it's no longer there. There's no more fuel for that fire and it's not there. Where's the safest place to stand now in that field? It's right in the middle of the place that's already been burned. Why? Because when the fires get there, they stop. Why? Because there's nothing else to consume. So Jesus has consumed the wrath of God in our place. I heard David Platt explain it this way one time. He was talking about what the propitiation was for us. It's, it's, it's the magnitude of this. We, sometimes we think, oh, well, it's sin, and, and we, we are responsible for our sin. He said, it's imagine us standing on the beach. And we look out, and there's something coming towards us. And as it gets closer and closer and closer, we realize it's a tidal wave, and, and that or a tsunami wave. And that tsunami wave looks to us as it's growing and growing and growing. And by the time it's right up on us, it's 40,000 feet high, coming 40,000 miles an hour, and there's no way we're going to survive it. And all of a sudden, right before it gets us, it's swallowed into the earth. The wrath of God was coming for us, but Jesus' work on the cross swallowed that wrath and it's not there anymore. There's no more ripples of that wrath. There's no more danger of the fire starting back up because there's nothing left to burn. He became like us so he could be our great high priest to make the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We'll we'll finish up with this. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. The safest place for us to stand is in the center of his will for our lives. Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Guys, Jesus' humanity and sinlessness is the reason he's able to help us in our temptation. He has been everywhere that we are. Every temptation we have or have ever had, he has been victorious over it. We'll get to it. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 is going to tell us that he has known every temptation known to man. And he has been victorious over that temptation. So he is able to be trusted. Guys, as we get ready to move into our response time, I want to share this with you. Don't pack up because I don't want you to miss this. Okay? because this is this important. Each week we talk about the hope of the gospel. We talk about it is you. It is you that that if you trust in Jesus Christ, then you are born again. If you trust in Jesus Christ, then there is therefore now no condemnation for you. But I don't, I don't want to confuse you, okay? We don't teach universalist theology. Not everybody goes to heaven. It's only those who, who realize that they're sinners, realize that they are in need of a savior and you trust your life to Jesus Christ. You turn over the reins to God. And when you do that, salvation happens immediately. Big church word called justification. It's in the moment. Nothing can ever change it. Nothing will ever change God's mind. Why do we know that? Because he is sovereign in all of his ways. That means before he saved you, he knew you completely. Man, I don't even know me completely and I don't like me. God knows me completely and loves me and says, Josh, I know what you've done. I know what you're doing and I know what you will always have the propensity to do and I still love you. So for those in this room who have trusted Jesus Christ, All of this good news we've talked about today, that's yours. But if you're here today and you've not put your hope in Jesus Christ, this is not yours, yet. It can be. I can't give it to you, I wish I could. You can't just go pick it up as if it were just a commodity to obtain. But if the Spirit of God is in your life right now, on your heart right now, calling you to trust Him, if you realize you've been doing life on your own, It's just a mess. There's no hope, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no satisfaction. If that's you today, I would beg you to say to the Lord, Jesus, I trust you with my life. There's no incantation, guys, those those aren't magic words that get Jesus to say, okay, now, now I'll say, but is your heart turning over to him and saying, it now belongs to you, you are the boss of my life. If you do that today, then all the hope that we've talked about is yours. He is the propitiation for your sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to walk on eggshells anymore. You don't have to wonder if God loves you. You don't have to wonder if he's ever gonna change his mind about you. He loves you. So we're gonna have an invitation time right now and I'd love for you to respond any way that you see fit. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for my brother Jesus. Father God, I thank you that you are our dad. We're not distant relatives, but you call us your own. His righteousness is our righteousness. The way that you love him, you love us. And the way that you're proud of him, you're proud of us because of what he's done. God, thank you. So Father, I pray for us right now as we move into this response time. Would you please help us trust you, more? We love you, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and we respond. Church, would you stand with me?